You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. Have an exciting episode for you today, which I feel like every episode is exciting. But this episode, to me, is exciting and fun because it is another mailbag episode. This is my third one. I can't lie to you. I'm really enjoying the episodes where I'm answering questions, whether they're from my direct messages on Twitter or comment on my YouTube channel. Some of the questions are fun. I've been getting a lot of them lately. And I'll be honest, like I said, I have really enjoyed answering the questions. So that will be what this episode is about today. And this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our locked on rooms. Locker Room, we are changing the way we talk sports. All right, let's get right into it. All right, this question is, it, it, it's crazy to me. I'm just go ahead and read the question. If the Warriors offer James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, and two first round picks to the Blazers for Dame Lillard, does Portland say no? Man, that is a tough question. I'm on the spot early. I'm a Blazers fan. I've made no secret about that. And depending on how the lottery shakes out, let's say the Warriors end up getting Minnesota's pick, then Golden State will have two lottery picks. I think it's kind of hard to say at at this point simply because we do not know where Golden State is going to be picking. If it happens to be, let's say, the fifth pick, and I think the Warriors are at like 14. Now, Dame is from the Oakland area, and I, I think that he's loyal to Portland, but this is the first time, to my knowledge, at least publicly, he seems to be wavering a little bit on his loyalty, and I totally understand it. I feel like Dame has basically covered a lot of the holes in the Blazers roster, which is a totally different subject that I can go on, but at this point, I think Dame will be 31 when the season starts next year. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I think he's going to slow down anytime soon, but Portland, that window to be a championship contender is is closing. I mean, I think CJ has to be close to 30. It's, it's a tough situation. Now, if you're Portland, you may have to decide, are, are we going to continue to stay in this range where we're like around the 7th or 8th seed or, or losing the first round? I mean, they got rid of Terry Stotts. I don't think he was the problem. The Blazers' defense was pretty bad. And the reason why the Blazers' defense was bad, in my opinion, is because they probably had one of the least athletic front lines in the NBA. You had Nurkic, you had Melo, you had Cantor. Cantor... I'm a big fan of Enos Cantor, but he's not really playable in the playoffs because teams are just going to put him in pick and rolls. I have been on record of saying I wanted the Blazers to target Aaron Gordon. They decided to go with Norm Powell instead of Aaron Gordon. It's like the management doubled down on scoring. I think Aaron Gordon would have probably helped. 
and you know Norman Powell's a free agent, so it could be a rental. And I don't want to make this whole segment about the Blazers, but I think Portland may have to consider it if that is the offer. You would get a young center in Wiseman, and I guess they would just start the whole rebuild if that's the case. I don't know the answer if Neil O'Shea was in that position if he would turn it down because we don't know where the pick is, but let's say Portland has an opportunity to get, let's say, a Jalen Suggs, a Davion Mitchell, James Wiseman, and Andrew Wiggins. Now, is that team going to compete right away? No, but I mean, those are some pretty decent building blocks for the future. So that was a pretty long-winded answer. But man, that first question came out swinging. You put me right on the hot seat. All right, the next question is, and this question is based off of my last mock draft, or actually the mock draft that I did for the uh, picks 15 through 30. And the question is, why would Houston draft Greg Brown when they have Kenyon Martin Jr.? I think that's a good question, fair assessment. I feel like Martin is more of a three. I think he's like 6'6", six, six, and Greg Brown is probably 6'9", or 6'10", maybe 6'8". I mean, we'll find out once the official measurements come out. So I think Brown is more so of a natural four, while I think Kenyon Martin Jr. could be a really good wing defender. If he can improve his shot, then, I mean, I guess you can say the same thing about Greg Brown, but I, I get it. There's some similarities there. Very athletic, but I think that um, their positions are a little bit different. I don't know if you can play Martin at the four because he's he's like 6'6", six, six, even though this is the small ball era, but hopefully that answers your question there. All right, the next question is, what is it about Max Abe Smith that you like over Cam Thomas? I feel they play a similar role, and I like Cam way more as a long-term prospect. Another great question. The reason I have Max ahead of Cam Thomas is because I feel like Max is better suited to play two positions. I know he's he's an undersized guard, but I think you can play Max a little bit at the one. And then if you have a bigger guard, you can play him at the two on offense and you can play him off the ball. And also... Cam Thomas is, I mean, I think he's a, a relentless gunner, and the ball is just not going to move. I think he's an acquired taste, but this draft is really tricky. If Cam ends up being selected in the teens, I wouldn't be shocked. If he falls in the 40s, I wouldn't be shocked either because I think he's such an acquired taste. And just for me personally, I feel like Max is better suited because he's a, a better passer and playmaker. I know that he has one more year of college experience than Cam, but, but what makes Cam so interesting to me is that he's a guy that he's more of a scorer than a shooter. He wasn't the most efficient, but he's really good at getting to the foul line. So that could kind of make up for the fact that I feel like Max is a better passer. Just my opinion, I think I'm going to take Max because I feel like he has more upside as a, a playmaker. And then not comparing him to Trey Young, but I feel like the success of Trey Young has made it, it has helped Max's draft stock. Again, I'm not saying they're the same player. Trey Young is on a different level when it comes to making plays for others and passing, but I feel like with their shooting ability, ability to score from deep, 
I think there's some similarities there. I think Max could be a guy that can provide instant offense. And I have him going to Phoenix on my last mock. And Phoenix is looking good right now. They're up 2-0 in the second round. And they're in position to get a pretty good draft pick. And that's where I have Max going. So another long-winded answer, but that is my answer to the question there. All right, the draft lottery is less than two weeks away. Who do you think wins? That's a pretty good question. I mean, I think Houston has the best chances to win, but Cleveland could win again. I mean, that would be what they're, I don't know how many number one picks. I guess you go Bennett, Kyrie, Braun. That could be like their fourth number one choice in the last, what, um, 20 years. That would be interesting. I know I did a mock, and I had the Pacers somehow rising up to, like, the third pick. Uh, that would be interesting if that happens because that means somebody else fell out. But as far as who I think wins the lottery, I'm going to I'm gonna put my money on Orlando. I'm going to say Orlando wins the 2021 NBA draft lottery. All right, before I get into more of your questions, I want to talk to you about a new podcast. I think you're really going to love it. It is called Death at the Wing. It is a sports documentary hosted by Adam McKay, the writer and director of The Big Short, Vice, and Anchorman. Death at the Wing is a a narrative documentary series that is looking at a generation of basketball stars and prospects that fell victim to historical, socioeconomic, and political forces that define the 80s. The 80s is what introduced me to basketball. I mean, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see it, but if you're watching me on YouTube, I have the Street and Smith basketball Bible that really like kickstarted my whole love for basketball. But I used to read this magazine <laughs> all the time. I was probably like, I don't know, second or third grade, and I read it literally every single day because I was so intrigued with basketball, and this was back in the 80s. I guess I'm giving my age here. Now, I was too young to remember at the time, but what I did not realize was that players were dealing with so much stuff off the court. If you love The Last Dance or 30 for 30, I think you're going to love Death at the Wing, so I would advise you to check it out. Search for Death at the Wing wherever you get your podcasts and start listening. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, what is the plan for the Steelers at quarterback after Big Ben? You can get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. All right, I am back with more questions. This is mailbag episode, I guess, number three. And the first question, and I guess this happens when... I have been on record of saying that I'm a Blazers fan. And this question is, you're the new GM of the Blazers, fix the roster. I kind of addressed this in the long-winded first answer, but I am looking to add some athleticism on the front line. I'm looking to find a legitimate backup point guard. I like Ant Simons. I think he's more of a combo. But if you look at the Blazers roster, they don't have like a floor general in the second unit. Um... You don't have a big that's like a vertical lob threat, and you don't have a big that is a floor spacer. You don't have a really pick-and-pop big. I know Zach Collins was supposed to be that guy, but availability is, <laughs> is something that's in question with Zach. 
I imagine that he'll have a bigger role next season. And I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know if Cantor signed a one or two year deal. And I like Enos a lot. I like him, but he's kind of like Montrez Hero in a sense, a guy that you can play a lot of minutes in the regular season, but then in the playoffs, it's going to be tough to give him 20-something minutes per game. So I would address the need for athleticism. And I mean, I think about guys like Daniel Gafford. The Bulls got him, or I'm sorry, the Wizards were able to get him for a little bit of nothing. He would fill holes that the Blazers need as far as an energy guy, a vertical lob threat, a rim runner. There's, there's a few guys that I, I think could fill that role that they may be able to get on two-way deals because Portland doesn't have a pick. And we'll see if they end up deciding to buy into the second round, but they don't have a draft pick. So it's going to be hard to address some needs in the draft. What are your thoughts on Abu Baji? I like this question, right? So I had a chance to watch him play two years ago, two summers ago. I think it was the under 18s. And the reason I, I keep, if you listen to my podcast, I mentioned the under 18s and the under 19s. And the reason I get them mixed up is because they both were in Greece I went to both tournaments, and it's hard for me to remember, did this guy play at the 19s or the 18s? So I think he was at the under-19s. Phenomenal athlete. I mean, he has all the physical tools. He's bouncy, crazy wingspan. He's a little raw. Well, you know, I wouldn't even say he's a little raw. He is raw. I've watched this film a little bit over the last two years, and he still lacks that polish. He still... Seems like basketball is new to him, but it just made me think about this. I don't see him on a lot of different draft boards. If he does not get drafted, I would pick him up. I would pick up the phone and I would call his agent immediately. Actually, I wouldn't even wait till the draft is over. I would call his agent before the draft and set up a two-way contract with a little bit of guaranteed money because... He's shown some flashes of being able to, or having a decent touch around the rim. I think in the NBA, I think his role is just going to be a rim runner and a floor spacer. Again, he's really raw, but but I think he has some potential to be a shot blocking vertical lob threat. And I mean, you have to wonder a little bit about his his mode. I mean, there's a few things that that um, you have to wonder, but I think he would be an excellent candidate for a two-way contract if he doesn't get drafted. But I think that if I were a GM, I think I would probably draft him, but you never know. I mean, you can probably get him for a two-way and less guaranteed money, but I'm pretty high on Baji. I'm just a little disappointed that he hasn't shown the growth and improvement over the last two years that I expected. And if, I want to say maybe like two years ago at this time, I started seeing his name on mock drafts as a potential lottery pick, which again, it's always hard to project years in advance, but his name definitely has slid <laughs> over the past two years. But I do like Abaji, and I do think that there is some long-term potential there. All right, next question. Who should the Mavs target with their picks? Luka needs another score. Well, this is an easy question because the Dallas Mavericks do not have a draft pick. They have traded all their picks away. I know one is going to the Knicks. So Dallas is in a situation where they're going to have to either buy into the second round or they're going to have to, you know, select an undrafted free agent. And you never know. I mean, you look at Marcus Howard last year. 
I don't think he got drafted, but he's actually playing for Denver. He's been able to get some rotation minutes. I mean, a lot of that is due to to, to injuries, but he's a guy that, again, he, I mean, it was a steal for Denver. Now, I'm on record. I really thought the Mavs won 2020 draft night. They were able to acquire Josh Richardson, Tyler Bay, draft Tyrell Terry, and they had Josh Green. And I probably played 10 less minutes than those guys combined, and I didn't even put on a jersey. So the Mavs are in a, a weird situation anyway because I think Luka was too good too early. And by him being that good that they weren't going to uh, be able to get high draft picks. And then also they gave away or traded their picks for Porzingis. And then also the guys that they drafted this year, because the Mavs were in win-now mode, they didn't get a chance to really develop. So I don't really see Dallas buying into the second round or any draft picks that will be able to come in and contribute. So sorry if you're a Mavs fan and you love the NBA draft, you, you can sit this one out because I, I don't see any movement there. Unless they move Porzingis, which I, I don't know. I mean, I think that you, you have a better chance of just trying to make it work between Luka and Porzingis. I think they've only played 10 playoff games together. I know it's popular to pile on Porzingis because he didn't play well, but I'm still going to give them another year. Another year, I mean, I think it's too soon to just kind of give up on him. He's only 25. He has 20 points, 8 rebounds this season. I know that meant nothing in the playoffs, but it's only 10 playoff games for Luka and Porzingis. And I know there's some rumors that they don't necessarily get along. I think the best way to improve the Mavs is to make that relationship work because I can't expect the draft pick to, to provide any value for Dallas. All right, moving on. Charlotte has three picks in the draft. Thoughts on what direction they should go in? Well, last year, Charlotte won the lottery in a sense. I mean, they got LaMelo Ball, who I think is going to win Rookie of the Year. Hasn't been announced as of the time of this recording. And then they had three guys that they had in the second round that didn't really play a lot. You had Vernon Carey from Duke. You had Nick Richards from Kentucky. And then they had... Grant Riller, who I was so high on. like I made a comment on my Twitter that if you would have told me that Grant Riller wouldn't play for Charlotte and Marcus Howard would be getting rotation minutes in the second round on a playoff team, I would have told you you're crazy. I would have said there's, there's no way possible. But, you know, opportunity is everything. And for Charlotte with three picks in this, in this particular draft, I don't really know how... Actually, I don't even know if they're going to keep all of those picks because you still have the guys from last year. I don't know their contract situations off the top of my head, but I don't think there's a situation where Charlotte keeps all three picks. Maybe they try to package them, a few of them to move up. I don't know. But I think with their first pick in the first round, I would select... A center, if Shingun is available, Alperin Shingun from Turkey, if he's available, I would take him because they have to find, I mean, they have to find a way to get rid of the Cody Zeller, Bismack, Biombo, one-two center combination. I used to live in Charlotte 2013-14, 
and I was around a team that particular season, and those guys were there. I mean, that team had Josh McRoberts, or Chris Douglas Roberts, uh, Ramon Sessions. I mean, Al Jefferson. Guys that are out of the league, and those two guys were on the team then. I know Biombo went to Orlando and Toronto, but he's back in Charlotte. I mean, it seemed like those guys have been there forever. They lasted in Charlotte longer than Cam Newton, if I'm not mistaken. It's time to split that duo up. I know they drafted two bigs last year, but yeah, I mean, I, w- I would go with a center. Al Perrine Shingun would be my choice if he's available. If not, maybe Isaiah Jackson. But again, I don't know what Charlotte would do with three, with with two or three second round picks. I have no idea. I'm I'm having a a, a blast answering these questions, and I have more for you. But I want to talk to you about Bet Online. Bet Online AG is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all of the action at BetOnline. You can get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and even UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch or the next tip-off, go to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as your team's prep for the playoffs. If your team is lucky enough to be in the playoffs, my team is in Cancun right now. But head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. All right, if you are... A repeat listener or have been listening for a while, then you know all about Built Bar. But if you're new, I want to tell you about this protein bar that is the best tasting protein bar on the market. And I'm saying this because I've had one. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. Built Bar is this amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar that is 100% chocolate on all bars. Yeah, 100% chocolate on all bars. And again, it tastes great. Let me tell you about some of the flavors. All right, you got coconut almond, you got mint brownie, you got salted caramel, you got raspberry, peanut butter brownie, which is my favorite. You got coconut, you got double chocolate, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, you got birthday cake, which is 100% white chocolate. Again, this is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. If you do not believe me, I would advise you to try it for yourself. You can go to builtbar.com or at bar underscore built on Twitter. Remember, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com and I would highly, highly recommend the peanut butter brownie. It's my favorite. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Obviously, you're listening to the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, but if you want more scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and just full coverage of the draft, we have 
four days a week where we're giving you the reports and analysis from credentialed draft experts, kind of like myself, and I'm biased, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I feel like this team that we have here at Locked On NBA Draft is like the 92 Olympics dream team. Again, I'm a little biased, but check us out, Locked On NBA Draft, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. All right, where do you have Isaiah Todd? Now, I believe Isaiah Todd has been grossly underrated. You have a guy that's 6'10". He played in the G League, which is a higher level of competition in college basketball. He averaged 12 points a game, 5 rebounds, and he shot a respectable 36% from 3. Not many guys that are 6'10", that you can pencil in as a possible floor spacer. So I think Isaiah Todd is highly underrated. I don't know if he's a first-round pick, but I would definitely take a look at him in the late first round. And if I'm a team like Oklahoma City, the Thunder have two picks in the mid-30s, I don't let Isaiah Todd slide past my my two picks, even though there would be a little bit of redundancy with um, Baisley and and, um, Pokashevsky and Isaiah Todd, but the Thunder aren't looking to win now. They're all about developing and stockpiling talent, and, you know, Isaiah Todd is definitely talented. He's someone that I feel like people kind of soured on. He was highly regarded early in his high school career, and then a lot of people just kind of wrote him off. You started seeing more negatives and, and red flags about him as opposed to what he does well. I'm going to assume maybe he was bored with high school. Maybe he just wasn't as motivated because he was so much more talented than everybody else. And now he's you know, shown that he can contribute and play and put up good numbers in a G League situation. So I think Isaiah Todd is highly underrated. Why is Jeremiah Robinson Earl so low on draft boards? That's a a, a pretty good question. If you look at the numbers, he had a, a pretty good year. He got off to a hot start. And I, I think the main reason why you don't see his name so high on draft boards is because he doesn't space the floor. But I like him. And I like guys from Villanova because Villanova guys, they are they're like a, a program that churns out good rotation players. You look at Jalen Brunson, you look at Mikael Bridges, you look at Josh Hart, you look at Eric Paschko. Those guys were able to come in and contribute right away on on their teams. And so I think Robinson Earl fits into that mode. I mean, the swing skill for him is definitely his outside shot. I think he shot less than 30% from three. But I like him as an energy guy, a guy that will be a pretty decent defender and just come in and make hustle plays. So I think he's going to be a very valuable pick, maybe late in the second round. I mean, I think that's where he's projected to go as a late second round pick. He's someone that could possibly end up going to a good team and getting some rotation minutes as a rookie on a good team. Don't know if his value will really be able to fully be showcased if he goes to a bad team or team that's looking to lose. I think he's a guy that is best on a winning team where his intangibles kind of stand out a little more, if that makes sense. 
Next question. All right, this is a, this is a good one. Has Nikola Jokic's MVP season helped improve Alperin Shingun's draft stock? I want to answer that as yes and no. And the reason I say yes and no is I'll go with yes first. Yes, because Jokic has proven that you can be a throwback, slow-footed, non-athletic center in today's pace and space NBA and win MVP. I mean, Jokic is an incredible story. He was the 41st pick, and I saw today that when they announced Denver selecting him with the 41st pick, it was during a Taco Bell commercial. Like, they didn't even give my man any airplay. I mean, it was literally like the Taco Bell commercial, and then you saw at the bottom of the ticker that Denver selected him at number 41. So, um, yes, on one hand, Jokic has proven that, well, one, he beat the odds. And the reason I say no is because Alperin Shingun helped his draft stock. At this time last year, I did not see him on anybody's mock draft or big boards as a potential lottery pick. He had a phenomenal season, arguably the best big in Europe this year. I don't remember the, the final stat tally, but I know throughout the year he was hovering around 20 points, 9 rebounds per game in a, a tough Turkish league. I mean, the Turkish league, in my opinion, is the second best domestic league in Europe, and Shingun was dominant. Now, I know he's going to receive a lot of comparisons to Jokic because they're both international players. They have similar builds. Jokic is a generational passer. Like, he is literally a high IQ point guard in the body of a throwback center. That's what separates him is his passing, and he also is a floor spacer. Shingun is not there as a passer, even though I think he's a, a, a really good passer. I mean, it's just tough to compare anyone as a passer to, to Nikola Jokic, but Shingun is a really good passer, and he hasn't really shown, at least in games, the ability to spread the floor and knock down threes. On one hand, you can say that Jokic wasn't as productive at the same level, at the same age as Shingun. Jokic wasn't in... I mean, they have similar builds. Jokic was kind of... <laughs> out of shape. I mean, conditioning was, I think, one of the knocks on him that he needed to, you know, lose a lot of weight and take the game serious. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was kind of one of the knocks on him, um, why he fell in the second round. But Shingun is, again, he's a lot better at the same stage, but if he can develop into a reliable three-point shooter like Jokic has, then the sky's the limit for him. So, it's kind of like a, a double answer. On one hand, yes, he may have helped it, but on, on the other hand, you got to give Shingun credit for the work that he's put in on his body and how he's improved his game, which is the reason why I think that he has the potential to be a lottery pick. All right, this is the last question, and it is, I knew I could not go a whole mailbag episode without a Lakers question. Usually Knicks fans are, are the ones that are asking the question, and Knicks fans are tough. Like, I posted on my last mock who I had the Knicks selecting with their two picks, and it was 50-50. Some thought it was good. Some absolutely hated it. 
And I, I love Knicks fans, especially around draft time, because they are by far the most passionate fan base about the draft. And I would even say the most knowledgeable. So shout out to all the Knicks fans. And shout out to Knicks Fan TV that had me on as a guest last year, which has uh, brought me quite a few Knicks followers and subscribers. So shout out to CP and Knicks Fan TV. But like I said, I knew I couldn't go too far without a Lakers question. And of course, the Lakers fan wants to know, can we trade Kyle Kuzma and move up? <laughs> I don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know if there's a team that is willing to, that wants Kyle Kuzma so bad that they're willing to trade their first round pick to acquire Kuzma. It depends on the package deal. I think that Dennis Smith, I'm sorry, Dennis Schroeder is not coming back, but I think it makes the most sense for the Lakers to do a sign-and-trade as opposed to losing him for nothing because of the way their cap situation is set up. I believe Bron, Anthony Davis, and Kuzma's contracts puts them close to the, um, the salary cap. And, and So anyway, I don't know. I, I don't think that a team wants Kuzma that bad, but it will probably have to be some type of sign and trade maybe I don't know I mean just let's say hypothetically the Knicks the Knicks <laughs> want to address their need for point guard or starting point guard because they had some issues scoring and they decide that they want Dennis Schroeder not saying that this is going to happen but let's say they decide they want Dennis Schroeder and they work out some type of deal with the Lakers where you get Schroeder and Kuzma for I don't know whatever the picks I don't know that's probably the only scenario that I can think of off the top of my head, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense, where a team would, where the Lakers could trade Kuzma and move up in the draft. I am out of time. Thank you so much for listening to my mailbag episode number three. Again, this is Raphael with NBA Draft Junkies, and I am out.